Hello, and welcome to the Andwise Podcast. We are delighted to have you here spending some time with us. Andwise is a technology platform that aims to empower medical students, trainees, and early career physicians navigate the complex financial journey that we all find ourselves on as we aim to help others. Thanks for joining us. Cheers. I'm so happy today to be joined by Dr. Daniel Novenson. He's actually the first of our physician guests from our Andwise Medical Advisory Board. Daniel, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me, uh, Maroon. It's been fun to see how the company's grown over the last year. Yeah, our main mission is to help empower the next generation of medical students, residents, early career physicians. You're obviously quite young yourself. Your resume is very impressive. I I could never do anyone's story justice. So I'll let you introduce yourself and your own journey briefly. You've had quite an amazing journey. It sounds like going from Stanford Medical School to Emory to UCSF. Afterwards, you've done a lot of non-clinical, exciting tech and consulting ventures. I'll let you introduce yourself to the Andwise audience. Yeah, yeah. My professional intro is that I did undergrad at Stanford. I actually was a public policy major, but switched into medicine. So didn't always want to, wasn't born with the stethoscope, switched kind of my junior year, thinking that could be a good way to impact and help a lot of people at scale. Then the master's in public health at Emory and FE and stats, quantitative background is amazing and serves me well. Then the med school at UCSF, as you said, and completed a primary care internship. And throughout that, and then since have worked in health tech, which is really my lane and work now in a growth or marketing role in health tech, originally at Doximity which is how I know your co-founder and how I've gotten hooked up with Dan Wise. I was there for about four years and I'm actually breaking news on the podcast, joining a company that does AI for clinical trials. It's early stage, like series A company, and I'll be starting with them in about a week, actually. And I don't know, just the kind of unifying thread through all these experiences is wanting to have a career that quote unquote matters and impacts people and improves human health at scale. That's really awesome. Thanks for sharing. Did you, do you remember when you were a medical student, did you know you wanted to do this kind of work or did you, did it evolve as you went along and during your internship? Cause I remember and when I was a medical student, I changed my mind so many times. I wanted to be a surgical oncologist and an ophthalmologist and an internist. Yeah. And I did some global health work afterwards. But as I matured, I, I feel like when I was a college student, there was just the goals of taking tests, doing MCATs, getting into medical school. It took a long time for me to figure out what I actually wanted to do with my life. Yeah. I think that last thing that you said about, I don't know, a tunnel vision or a myopia of just jumping through the next hoop. I don't think I'm smarter than I was 10 or 20 years ago. If anything, um, we were talking before we hit record, we each have uh, kids and I don't know, I probably can do math problems uh, not quite as fast as I could 20 years ago when I was better rested. I think the difference though is just more of a, I don't know, cynicism is a harsh word, but more of an understanding of how the world operates and that it's not a Hollywood movie, no matter how motivated and caring you are as a clinician was part of what I figured out throughout my journey and some like heart rending stories that got me to this point. 
was that we weren't going to improve the health of the patient who we put through our hospital 30 something times in a year for alcohol use disorder by putting her through the hospital one more time and leveling out the sodium and rinse and repeat and see you in a week. We needed to drive towards systemic change and not that working for health tech is going to single-handedly solve all those problems, but it's where I felt the most passionate. It's also where I felt the most comfortable as well. And that's a huge bit of it. And so even just taking a step back, I would just say that doctors, you have a training in professionalism. You have a training in high stakes communication, not in eloquence at this particular moment, but the point is you have a background that will allow you to both work at all levels of like healthcare delivery, both the immediate touching a patient level, but also taking a step back or taking a step back north of that, the quality of healthcare delivered isn't just up to the individuals touching patients, but it's up to the quality of the system and what type of tools people are given to succeed. And obviously, Ann Wise's mission touches on that in an indirect way. There's evidence, and I'm sure you're familiar, that the more physicians there are in like leadership positions at hospitals, for example, uh, the happier physicians are. Somebody can fact check me on this, but it might even be linked to like patient care outcomes as well. There are a lot of ways to make a difference with your background. I guess we just yeah. the, the message I would deliver. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And there's such a tremendous interest I find all around us for physicians not necessarily wanting to stay 100% clinical because they realize the limitations of that one-to-one yeah. impact. And by expanding into other fields like health tech, you can really have a one-to-many impact. You know, as an individual, you might not be able to have it as a primary care doc, as a surgeon, as whatever you are in the clinic or in the hospital. So. Yeah. I also want to be clear that it's not I don't know, some people like the color red and some people like the color orange and it's like all are valid choices. Yeah. My particular like med school or whatever, I just, my eyes weren't open really to non-clinical paths because it's a selection bias and the people who stay in academic medicine very much leaned into door number one. And just the only thing I would say is the world needs surgeons and that's great, but you know, the world needs Lots of other positions too that for doctors to fill, find your bliss and find where you can be the most successful and be the most fulfilled. Yeah, that's a great point. You're right. We definitely need the whole spectrum of physicians involved, okay. as you mentioned in leadership as well. When you were at UCSF, how did you carve out this path? A lot of medical school is also taking tests and then interviewing for internship right. when you're a senior. Right. Being in San Francisco, did you find like that environment of being in a innovation hub helped or were you too busy to get involved with that as a medical student and you figured it out afterwards? The latter, the latter, honestly, just like internal mottos I've developed, I would say mantra, but that's too pretentious, certainly not a yogi or anything, but just keep swimming toward the energy or fail upward or whatever is that we're all Plinko balls bouncing around any which way, but if you keep driving toward something that seems good and gives you energy, even if you don't know exactly how you're going to get there, one door is going to open and another door is going to open. But to answer your question more directly, no, in medical school, I was busy memorizing the 27 steps of the Krebs cycle forward and backwards, but I was fortunate enough to have worked in, you mentioned global health, and I think that's really formative, but I was fortunate enough to have worked in global health on PEPFAR at CDC in the State Department 
before going into medical school. I think that helped me. And so then my fourth year of medical school, the CDC had some rotations or fellowships that were global health. And I was fortunate enough to be able to participate at my fourth year. I was some in Atlanta and some in Micronesia. And they just reinforced those were my best parts of medical school, which is a strong signal of what you should or shouldn't be doing. And then some of it is just happenstance because my amazing wife happens to be from the Bay Area. And if she happened to be from DC, maybe I'd be working in, I don't know, I'd be working at FDA or CMS or whatever. She happened to be from here. And so we happened to be here. And like when you're in Houston, work in the oil industry, when you're here, you're going to work in health tech. And so just swim for the energy and kind of create and find opportunities for yourself. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and in terms of like people that are in medical school now about to graduate, if they wanted to take a similar path, obviously location helps a little bit. I trained in New York. There were plenty of meetups and stuff to go to. Is that, do you even remember back when you were starting, did you go to meetups? Did you cold email people? Did you use warm introductions through yeah. friends, mentors? Or what, what can someone actually do if they're like, wow, I, I don't know anything about this, but I want to get involved in the health tech space. Yeah. And th that's something too, that the whole medical, the other 99% of people, when they apply to a job, you don't apply to go work at a car wash through ERAS or whatever. So yeah, the same principles apply. I find it really helps to depersonalize and just view it as a numbers game and view it as a funnel and realize that it's a, however many step funnel your processes and you just want to iterate and try to improve on your success rates at each stage of the funnel. Ultimately, the more shots on goal you take. So what does the funnel look like breaking into health tech? First of all, I'll talk to anybody. So if you're hearing this, reach out, I'll talk to you. I'm happy to, to help wherever I can. There are companies that do this being VCs source and fund. Let's leverage their work. Let's look on uh, what used to be angel list, which is now well found, or let's look on Y Combinator, or let's look on rock health. There are all sorts of different health tech VCs that aggregate and all the job postings for, which is going to be way more efficient looking 20 companies at a time than inversely, but you take a multi-pronged approach and be setting up stuff and LinkedIn updates and Google updates and whatever. And when you find something on this day and age with generative AI, writing everybody's cover letter and just spam easy, apply, easy, apply. I think that you got to decide if it's one that you're really excited about try to reach out and talk to a human in some way, shape or form. Be that, hey, we went to the same college and I noticed that you're at company X. Hey, I see on LinkedIn that it seems like you're the hiring manager, AKA would be my boss for job XYZ at company X. And 80% that these people don't reply, but you take enough shots on goal and getting through that initial paper cut where, I don't know, they get 500 applicants and they send forward 25 or whatever into the process is the biggest step numerically. And also, especially so for physicians, because you're coming from an atypical background. And so the AI that's being used to screen resumes or recruiters who may or may not have industry-specific expertise and are looking pretty narrowly for, did the person do three years of XYZ? You probably didn't. You were probably in medical school. And so getting through that initial hurdle and then betting on yourself that you can talk through people and you can explain 
I'll know I haven't led a agile scrum, but I can talk to people in the ICU about very end of life discussions. I can probably handle different personalities. A chance to have those conversations once you get through the initial paper cut would be the biggest thing and try to talk to a human instead of just applying resumes, get the person to submit it for you internally, gives you better out. That's awesome advice. Thanks. I've been picking the brains of my colleagues and friends. When you're in medical school and internship, you're again, that tunnel vision of becoming the best doctor you can be. I myself neglected all of my own personal financial wellness. Not that I, thankfully, I didn't yeah. make any catastrophic mistakes like yeah. get myself into credit card debt. But I, I also feel like there were like small things that I did that compounded and definitely set me back a little bit. Like mm. one of the things I, I always talk about is I let my student loans, my last year of residency go. I applied for forbearance because I thought I deserved a vacation and compound interest at 7%. That's a very expensive vacation until I paid my loans off uh, nine years later. That's something that sort of added up for a little bit. Mm. Is there anything that you did along your own financial journey that a lot of these things are like unknown? So unless people hear stories from other docs, they might not even think about it until they're behind the ball. Yeah. Is there anything that comes to mind or not really? Yeah. No, I didn't bet it all on red or anything like <laughs> crazy, luckily. I think that the biggest financial advice, most physicians ultimately are going to be making, I don't know, 300K on average or even more or less, depending on specialty. And so for most of us, then that's enough, even living in the Marin here in the Bay Area where I am, like that is enough for people to get on. And to the extent I would look foremost at like one spending, and that doesn't mean you should be eating Kraft macaroni, like you should be spending on things that are value to you. My whole thing is I just don't want to like waste. Our trash is a hundred bucks a month. And that's a lot for trash. And actually, if we put it in a smaller bin, and now I have to go to the dump once a year, but the smaller bin is 50 bucks a month. And that seems dumb, but compound that 50 bucks a month over five years or whatever, that's like 500 bucks a year times like your 600 times, that's three grand for going to a smaller trash can. And I don't know, little things, subscriptions is an easy way. And if you're saving three grand over five years, that's the equivalent, depending on your state and your tax bracket and everything, that's the equivalent of earning maybe five grand for a trash can. So little things add up. I bank it SoFi because in the same spirit, so like passive savings or passive income streams, little dumb things add up. I bank at SoFi instead of one of the big four banks because 4.6 at the time of this recording and it bounces up and down percent on the money that I keep in my account to just cover my everyday checking. Shoot, that's, you know, like you multiply out little bits month over month and year over year, same idea. And it adds up to a real number. And then the single biggest advice, right, is that it's not timing the market, it's time in the market. Over generations and generations, the stock market returns 10% year over year. The single biggest thing you can do, to your point, is like actually not do anything dumb. And you just park your money 100% in VTI, which is a total stock market fund. That is going to be better than 90% of people. Can you go from there and do rebalancing and split? No, well, actually, small and value have been shown to... You can get esoteric and go and turn credit cards and blah, 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 great. 
like great. You take the journey however far you want to do it. But the biggest thing, just be in the market, stay the course, don't sell out at the bottom, avoid against behavioral biases, don't have cash drag, don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars just sitting around in your bed. Even if you guys, okay, I'm going to pay for my, I got to pay the X amount on a mortgage or a down payment or whatever. If I have some slack, leave it in the market for those six months that unless the market craters 70%, I'll have enough to cover it. Leave it in the market because just multiply out on expectation. You're going to be doing better. So just basic kind of numeracy things, not doing anything dumb, accepting as well that mistakes are part of the process. I saw this thing that we make our best financial decisions at age 53. Our capacities kind of start to decline, or maybe it was 57. But our capacities start to gradually decline after that. But up to that point, it's just decades of accumulated experience and it's part of the learning process. Yeah, that's awesome advice. Thanks. I saw you've obviously written a lot of content for Doximity, like on yeah. the op-med op sections. And Doximity does awesome surveys with like thousands of physicians involved. Yeah. Um, there was one about do most doctors have a financial advisor? And it said that like yeah. around 53% do out of that 3000 doc survey. Did you, in your own journey, have you ever had a financial advisor or are you self-taught and you, it sounds like you manage yourself at Vanguard, right? Yeah. 1% on however much on everybody listening to this is different, but if you're making the average physician is making hundreds of thousands a year, it's probably going to be in the seven figures pretty soon. 1% on that. So what is the kind of implicit rate of return if I teach myself? That's probably pretty good for most people. And when I've talked to people over the years, but there's, I don't know, like I've caught all sorts of stuff doing my own taxes now on TurboTax that wouldn't have. And it taught me like strategically, gee, like making sure to fill brackets in certain ways and blah, blah, blah. Like you learn through doing the more exposure you have to that's an ancillary benefit of instead of just outsourcing everything to a financial advisor, you'll learn less. That's me personally. I think most of the people who are listening to this probably self-select in and they would probably feel the same way by and large. But if you're in a position where, oh no, I'm making these horrible mistakes and yeah, like I could pay 1% or I could have like 10% drag from doing crazy things. Like you got to have the self-awareness to know what category you're in and nothing's forever. You can have a financial advisor for a little bit, teaches you everything. And then like you almost viewed it as paying for the education. No one single path. Um, the other thing, thanks for the shout out about the proximity on um, data journalism, which we stood up. The other one that was interesting is the uh, inflation one. I know uh, you had on the script that uh, you might want us to talk about. Um, is that kind of where you want to go next? Yeah, I'd love to hear your uh, your insights, having worked there for so yeah. long and being part of that core team. Because one of the things that Andwise and myself personally, I'm worried about is the having been a full-time hospitalist for 11 years, is there were all these articles coming out in the middle of the pandemic about how more than 100,000 doctors have just left the workforce. Some have retired early, some have... Yeah. I think, you know, a large part of that is the things that everyone talks about, the administrative burdens, the loss of autonomy, the consolidation. But I think like a lot of online groups and stuff that I see personally, people are stressed about their finances when they're yeah. tired of trading their time for money. So I, yeah, I would love to hear about that yeah. particular article or, or your just global view of what's happening around you. Yeah, I think burnout is not the right term, is moral injury. 
even arguably it was a big part of it for me personally. I alluded to that earlier, but certainly working, we internally weigh all these things to the extent that people feel that, yes, I recognize I'm very fortunate as a position to be making five times or whatever it is, the the average national income, but nonetheless, rates are up. And so my student loan, depending on how it's structured is maybe more fee schedule is going up a little bit, but inflation is going up more. And so functionally, nominally, I'm getting a pay raise and maybe it's not keeping up with inflation, which is uh, what one of our articles was. And it depends on specialty, but by and large, that's the trend. I would say that's all good and well, and that's true. But I I would take a step back and take a bigger picture of it's been a turbulent couple of years economically and the job security and put it like this, like if the average American over the past couple of years had stayed at their like comped job and gotten a pay raise of a couple percent, even though inflation went up more than that. I think most Americans would have taken that deal in a heartbeat for sure. It does drive then to your point about like, how can you make your money work for you passively, which is some of the stuff that we talked about as well. And then also on the cost contained side, not send your kid to the school that they should go to and take the vacation that you should go to but not being wasteful and trying to cut back on things that don't matter, which size of the garbage can is my way of doing it. Yeah, that's great. It's really relevant advice. I, one, one term I learned recently was like conscious spending, different people value different things. You see this all the time. Like some physicians like luxury goods, other physicians like vacations, other people, you know, now that I have kids, I value time with my family over anything. And that, I guess it's just important to be honest with yourself, have some sort of written financial plan about what you want to spend your money on and then relentlessly cut out on the things like you were mentioning. Perhaps it's just auto automatic subscriptions that you're not even utilizing. Yeah. There's services that will go through and do that for you too and identify all the, you know, and yeah, you can squeeze a little bit too on some of those if you call them and Oh, gee, like you hinted at canceling. Now you pay 75% less. So, did you ever use any budgeting tools? Like, I used Mint by Intuit for a decade, and I just heard they're like shutting down their budgeting tools. Some other people use YNAB, like you need a budget. Other people use Personal Capital, which is now Empower. Did you ever use those, or you just did it yourself looking at your accounts? I'm highly quantitative, and it worked. Somebody joked and called me Mr. Spreadsheet. For me, I have a 12 tab spreadsheet of my salary, my wife's salary. That's how I personally do it. And then it ties in and I can track on a different tab, like our, our portfolio or a different tab, various expenses or what have you. So that's personally how I did it, but people should do whatever. And yeah, just to reiterate, it's not don't spend. It's just try to minimize. The other thing too, I would just say apropos of nothing is not to lose perspective that as physicians, a lot of us are probably paying for goods and services a lot to people who are not making 300K a year. And the place to skimp isn't on the person tipping the person who delivered your groceries or brought you your dinner or cleans your house or whatever the case may be. Those are great places to spend the extra dollars. Just wanted to put that out there because you you hear stories about people losing perspective and not being so great to others. 
Yeah, I, I love that. It goes with the abundance mindset thing, right? And the universe that I, I find uh, as I get older, the more people I discuss with, it's like the more you put out there, sometimes it comes back to you multiple fold. So you're, you're absolutely right. And I, I don't think society can function without any of those people. So I can skimp from Comcast and JP Morgan. I feel like they're going to be okay, but not if, if you, you, you have somebody who's like washing your dishes or whatever, isn't the person to skimp. <laughs> Yeah, we're we're going to share your LinkedIn on our show notes so that people can find you. Thank you for your generous offer to talk to anyone about that's thinking about getting into health tech. But is there any other method that you prefer besides LinkedIn? Like, no. Thank you so much for your time. Is there is there anything else that we haven't covered or that you'd like to add for people that are behind you in their career trajectory? The other thing I would say too is that the the barrier to entry the economic term of is lower nowadays with the internet and with remote work and so you have a lot more autonomy and with that power comes like responsibility to figure out the path that works for you and so i don't know do you provide more telecare do you have your etsy store where you're selling potted plants on the weekend do you and like figure out what's gonna but you got to charge your own path. And for somebody to your point where it was prescribed, now you take this test and now we're going to study the GI system. And then you take that test and now you have to that done. Then you apply to residency two and a half years in advance through a portal and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's a different mindset of steering your own ship, but um, it's more rewarding in the end. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, thanks again. Really appreciate you, your time, your contributions. And sure. um, it was really awesome to have you as the first guest. Oh, thank, thank you. you. And happy holidays, depending on uh, when this goes live on um, to you or in your family and then everyone uh, listening as well. Thanks, Daniel. Bye-bye.